0: Hello, and welcome to this week's My News Wrap. News from the area of SAP, Microsoft, and the world in between. Let's start what happened this week. Um, From the area of SAP, so purely SAP, it was, um, well, quite silent, except for one thing that I would like to bring to your attention. Um, As I said last week, this week there was the um, annual conference of the German-speaking user group, um, for, for SAP customers and partners, the, the DSAG. It was completely virtual, again, unfortunately, called now DSAG Live. And um, DSAG is doing a great job in also delivering now content for those who didn't participate and might not uh, be um, members of DSAG or, or just didn't join the conference because on YouTube, you now have the chance to uh, walk through all the keynotes that have been delivered during uh, the week. So DSG Library took place from Monday to Friday. Every day there have been keynotes, at least one. And all of them are now available. Um, I think not all, most of them as of today are available on the uh, channel within the uh, playlist that I've referenced within the show notes. So um, anyway, quite some stuff to to catch up. Uh, Take a look at that one if you're interested in. I really, I have not seen all of them. To be honest, I watched the one of the first day. But I think, as usual, the ones, especially from the DSHE side, are really great because they deliver super valuable feedback from the customers and the partners. So yeah, take a look at that. And with that, uh, we can already switch to the Microsoft part of the house. So not that much news from the SAP side, but more and the cozier from Microsoft. And let's switch to Azure Functions. And it's this time of the year, Azure Functions, the new runtime version, will come out at the end of this year in sync with the release of .NET 6. So the Azure Functions Runtime 4.0 is now in public preview. So if you are especially interested in seeing how things work out with .NET 6, that's Uh, something that you should definitely try out. With .NET 6, um, in-process as well as isolated processes are supported. Um, I think there are some constraints constraints with respect to the isolated process. I don't think that this one supports uh, durable functions, Um, but definitely uh, worth taking a look at. And what's also important, not only taking a look at the announcement block, so what's new, what's what's coming up, but also taking a look at the section what are the the planned breaking changes. So I also reference the announce, the official announcement block within the show notes, and within there, if we scroll down to the bottom, there is a link to the planned breaking changes that is referencing a GitHub repository, um, where there are the well, at least the, the breaking changes that probably come up are referenced. Having said that. Um, there are some changes that I did not find there, but I found on another site that I've also referenced um, within the show notes. And that's about um, uh, breaking changes when you migrate from the runtime version 3.x to 4.x. And there is one thing that I especially want to highlight, and that's that Azure Function Proxies are no longer supported with 4.x. And you are recommended to use the Azure API management well, uh, let's say it that way. Function proxies are super lightweight approach. Azure API management, I think, is the super heavyweight approach. Um, so, so I'm not quite sure how this uh, will work out. I mean, I, I get the idea why they do that, but I think there should be something in between that really helps setting up a very lightweight um, approach there and not just saying hey go to the API management, which is also quite a different beast from the perspective of uh, costs. So let's see um, what's what's coming up there. But I referenced everything in the show notes, so you can catch up there. And then um, with respect to durable functions, and I hope we will also hear something about the, the new storage providers later this year, um, especially um, around Netherite. I want to highlight that there is now um, an extended version of the um, Hello World samples uh, that you can use in order to try out um, Netherite. So in the the first version, there was only .NET Core uh, 3.1. Now there is TypeScript, and now there is also Python, and a very extensive description on how to get things running locally. In, in a hybrid mode, so having your function running locally and the um, event hub, as well as the storage running in Azure, and then also how to deploy things to, to Azure. It's a really super low entry barrier if you want to get started. with that. Now, um, staying at, at durable functions, there is also a quite cool tweet that I um, referenced within the show notes. About debugging durable functions. So if you have very complex um, orchestration of durable functions and you're running in the in the replay mode, debugging becomes a pain. And well, basically, it's quite obvious. But um, I, I that that struck my mind when, when I saw that the tweet that that's a great idea. How about conditional expressions on your breakpoints that simply uh, rely on the is replaying um, um, is replaying attribute of the context and. Checking if that's false, then you're debugging only the the non-replaying part of your uh, durable functions execution. Quite cool tip, super helpful. And with that, let's switch to Azure Static Web Apps, and there is a nice uh, podcast um, called Web Rush, and in within episode one hundred fifty one, called Engineering Technology from Idea to Release. They are talking about Azure Static Web Apps and not only how to, to build um, Static Web Apps, but taking a bit of a look um, behind the curtains. So how was this Azure Static Web Apps thingy evolving from, from the first line of code written? What, what obstacles did they face when, when developing Azure Static Web Apps and, and from, from start to the end? So that's really, uh, I think, really super interesting to to take a look behind the curtains, what happened there. With that, let's switch to the non-serverless world, containers and Kubernetes. Um, There was one announcement around Dapper. Nothing about the functionality, but last year, Dapper migrated or transitioned to the so-called open governance model. And from September last year, there was an, an interim uh, steering and technical committee that was now really put in place, and uh, there is now an official announcement. Who are the members of the steering committee? There are two from Microsoft, two from Alibaba, and one from Intel. So that's that's quite cool to see that now everything gets gets more settled, and um, work can continue in a more in, in an even more um, consolidated way. With that, let's go to Kubernetes, and I want to highlight um, a newsletter that was announced this week by Pixel Robot, or Richard Hooper, how he's called in in real life, um, from the UK, um, who is doing a lot of work around Cloud Native, and especially AKS. I I have referenced him already several times within this podcast, and he has now brought up a bi-weekly newsletter around everything um, AKS and, and Azure and Kubernetes. I think definitely worth uh, subscribing to that to that one, and then um, kind of a let's say neighborhood topic of of AKS that I also want to highlight because maybe some of you have touch points with that one, and that's Azure Arc, so the the offering of um, Azure basically to to manage your uh, Kubernetes clusters on prem within AWS. Within Azure, from one central management plane within Azure, by deploying some agents within your your um, your clusters, and there is now an official um, diagrams PowerPoint that's available on, on GitHub in order to to help you to set up the the ideas around Azure Arc that you might have with the official stencils, um, with some proposals around uh, the, the setup. So. Super helpful, and according to the announcement, this will be um, updated regularly. So I have referenced the link to the GitHub repo within my show notes. With that, let's move on to the world of GitHub and uh, DevOps. First, I would like to highlight two GitHub shorts. Um, First one is about setting up code spaces because the question naturally arises if I have this web-based development environment that has to be spun up somewhere, Uh, how long does it take? Minutes, several minutes, as we know it from some other web-based development environments, maybe from the SAP area. Um, No, you will see within this short that it takes basically 15 seconds to get things up and running. And I can state that's definitely true. Then uh, another one uh, which is also quite quite interesting. It's, it's nothing brand new. Um, it's around GitHub pages and how to quickly how, how easy it is to set them up. I referenced that uh, video um, basically also because um, at SAP we are using GitHub pages internally quite a lot. And I think that's really a nice way how to make your content a bit more accessible, a bit easier to digest than just having a, a README within your file. So if if you want to take a have a look at that one, that's really super useful. And then another nice new feature within Gist, uh, you can now easily include images and videos within your Markdown files. So that's um, also I think super helpful, um, especially if you start to use Gist as an as an replacement for your, your notepad or whatsoever you have in order to, to take your notes. So that's that's really a nice new feature. And then from a yeah, more, more technical perspective, what came out around GitHub this week? Um, the advisory database of GitHub that um, is kind of the, the backbone for your um, security advisories that you get when you have a GitHub repo um, for free. Um, has been enhanced and now also supports Rust. So um, besides all the other ecosystems that have already been there, like like Java with Maven or or NPM or Go, um, there is now also Rust officially supported, which is great. So more community coming to to GitHub. Then um, some news around GitHub runners, um, or to be more precise um, about the, the CodeQL runner which was kind of a, a bridging technology in order to enable you uh, to execute the, the CodeQL security scans within your repository, even if you have um, a CI-CD system that, that is outside of GitHub. Um, and that there, there was this CodeQL runner, which acts as, as a glue or kind of a glue between your system and the uh, analysis engine on the GitHub side. Uh, and this glue was necessary due to the fact that the code QL CLI was not yet uh, capable of everything that the runner could do. And now they are feature pair. And that is the reason why um, GitHub wants to reduce complexity, deprecates the runner. The dates when this will happen are mentioned within the blog post that I referenced. Um, because you can now have an um, easier life by directly calling the CodeQL CLI, um, in version 2.6.2 2 and, of course, afterwards. Then, um, another news around GitHub Actions. Um, if you have self-hosted runners for your GitHub Actions, then the experience of your management dashboard has been improved a lot around uh, getting the information about the, the status of your runners, about grouping of your runners and so on. Quite uh, some nice new features. And then, um, another video that I would like to highlight from YouTube. I referenced the blog post I think two weeks or three weeks ago uh, that GitHub themselves moved to Code Spaces to make their life easier to make especially to make it especially easier for for new hires to get up and running, um, which might be quite some fun with the GitHub codes uh, Code Base. And that's why they introduced Code Spaces internally, and they also improved it a lot over the time. And this video also guides you through. Um, through this journey, and really shows you um, how easy it is to, to set things up. So again, code spaces for the win. Then um, some news from the from the broader uh, Microsoft ecosystem. Uh, first blog post that I would like to highlight is uh, by Christian Denik, uh cloud solutions architect by uh, at Microsoft, uh, helping special partners uh, the, the partner organization, and he's uh, focusing especially on Kubernetes. So you can basically call, ask him anything about Kubernetes. And um, he's also a big fan of Cosmos DB. And within his blog post, he describes how to use the so-called transactional outbox pattern, which aims at a, at a guaranteed delivery of events, so the main events in this case, um, in conjunction with Azure Cosmos DB. Very extensive blog post, and also the, the code is available on the public GitHub. So if you're working with Cosmos DB, if you um, kind of want to wrap your head around such a resilient architecture pattern, um, take a look at this blog post. Highly recommend it. And then two more news from the .NET area that I like more and more, to be honest, um, is first of all, with .NET 6 now, there is uh, package source mapping introduced. So you can define where the uh, new get package packages should be fetched. Making use of a new Get config file, um, which uh, yeah, basically you, you just say where do I want want to get that, the specific package or with wildcards um, as usual, you know the game how something like this could work. Um, I referenced the blog post about that announcement, and there is also another blog post by Scott Hanselman, um, also picking up the story of .NET six. Uh, last week we had the minimal apis uh, blog post um focusing on how easy it is to to develop apis and now this one goes one step further and tells you or gives you an insight how easy it is with minimal apis to bring in unit tests um which which might also be not that super obvious because with .NET six a lot is happening behind the scenes so there's some some magic going on there and maybe this this might make it heavier or or more difficult to to apply unit tests, but that's not the case. And this blog post perfectly shows that. And then um, last but not least from the pure Microsoft world, another um, web page that I would like to bring to your attention. And that's the Azure App Service Migration Assistant. To be honest, I don't know how long this is out already, but I saw it this week and I I would like to, to present it to you. And that's, Really, a migration assistant. You basically paste your your public URL in there, and it gives you some assessment on how well compatible your um, external app is in order to transfer it to the Azure App Service. And yeah, basically, only the, that there is such an offering that's publicly available for free. I think um, already lowers the barrier to wrap your head around what could I do in order to make my life easier and migrate my um App to the Azure App Service. So, and yeah, as long as it's a public URL, so this app can also live on premise, that's, I think, really, really nice, cool offering. Now, enough from the side of pure Microsoft. Let's go into the world in between um, SAP and Microsoft. And here we go with the first blog post um, that I would like to show to you um, by Martin Pankratz. It's the third blog post in a series of blog posts around making the uh, CPI offering more resilient by bringing in several services and offerings of Azure. And this third part of the story now uh, covers high availability for the CPI setup, picking up uh, the the Black Friday uh, scenario. Um, Again, as usual, I think I do not have to mention that quite decent um, walkthrough by by Martin. Again, super high-quality content, super useful. And as every Saturday, we have a new edition of the SAP on Azure video podcast. Um, with a lot of news around uh, the area of SAP and, and Microsoft, of course, and with the focus topic on uh, Bernhard Fries, who is member of uh, the uh, German V Team, so supporting customers and partners to gain speed in their journey to um, SAP on Azure. Um, yeah, if you're interested in that, if you want to really have also a bit of more not only technology, but also a bit more this, this interview uh, kind of, of thingy. Um, I think that one's worth watching. And then um, one, one last blog post from the uh, Microsoft Graph developer blog that I would like to, to bring to your attention. That's not uh, directly covering the topic SAP and Microsoft and how to bring things together. But I think this is a quite important puzzle piece as it describes uh, multi-tenant architecture for SaaS apps um, based on on, uh, Microsoft 365. And this is something that might be really interesting for uh, partners who would like to offer such SaaS app that also bring together um, SAP Microsoft, which is a very valuable um, use case that we have seen all over the place and that we probably also will see more and more. With that, let's switch to the learning and events area. First of all, let's go to learning, domain-driven design. Super important topic from my perspective when it comes to designing systems, especially if you move to the cloud native world and and want to get your grip on microservices. And here I would like to highlight a tweet that references to GitHub repos um, from a community-driven approach to get started with domain-driven design. The the folks call themselves DDD Crew, so Domain-Driven Design Crew. And there is um, a starter package. So how can you get started with modeling processes in a a DDD approach? Um, And you do not really have yet done something with that. Well then, I think this GitHub repo is definitely worth a look. And then let's go to the upcoming events. Um, there is one event from the DSAG site that I want to highlight, and that's the, the foundational meeting of the uh, working group of Business Technology Platform Integration and Extension Suite. That one was formerly uh, a so-called forum, which is a, a special uh, construct within DSAG, And this is now kind of promoted uh, as, an, as a working group. And the first meeting will take place at the end of October on the 25th. And you can sign up for this first meetup. So if you are a DSHG user, you should be able to do that. There seem to be some problems with, with, it seems, university participants, so so people from university that are DSHG members. Um, But I think that that should be be sorted out soon. Um, Yeah, if if you're interested in that, if you're a part of the the German-speaking user group, Please um, sign up. I think a super important working group, especially as a feedback channel from customers and partners towards SAP. And then something happened that I would not have believed that it would happen. The Open SAP course on building applications on SAP BTP with Microsoft services. I think it was called different at the, at the very start. Is now announced again for November this year. So it should happen last year, I think also around September, October, November, something that time frame was postponed without without further, further ado um, and is now again coming up. As you can think of, um, I mean, it was, I guess, then recorded approximately at the beginning of 2020. So it's not um, super up to date with respect to the SAP BTP services, but I think it's still worth uh, watching as that the concepts basically stay the same how to bring those two worlds together. Hopefully this time it will stay. Then um, Azure Functions life is back. So after a long period of not being there, I guess with the Function Worker Runtime 4.0, there is something to talk about. On September the 27th, there will be um, a new edition and I've referenced the uh, tweet of Anthony within the show notes. So if you are in the Azure Functions world, I think that's definitely worth watching. And then I have um, another one which is not perfectly fitting in the things that I usually talk about within this uh, uh, podcast, but I think it's, it's worth definitely worth mentioning. There will be a community conference around ABAP. So purely focusing on ABAP, like the .NET Conf, focusing on .NET. We have now one organized by the community around ABAP. It was, will be a, um, a virtual event that takes place on the December the 9th this year. And it's early prep phase, so um, call for papers should come out soon. All the informations are available on the landing page. I've referenced the link within the show notes. And with that, let's switch to developer productivity or um, things that might come near to that. Um, this week, I've referenced the um, the link within the show notes. There was the official Surface event. So all the new Surface devices have been presented there. It was a really, from my perspective, great event. So if you are, of course, uh, Mac, Apple fan, that's kind of the counterpart for all those Surface fans like me sitting there and seeing devices that they probably won't get too soon. Um, but great show. And it wasn't only about devices. That's why why I referenced it uh, within this podcast. But there are two more things that I really like about um, the thinking that, that Microsoft has. Um, and I, I've referenced uh, the... The particular piece is also in the show notes because there was also the presentation of, and there was quite some time for that, uh, the presentation of the Surface Adaptive Kit, which is a, a kit that makes the life of people with disability easier to use the Surface devices. E- if there are have some handicaps with, with their hands in order to open up the, the lids a bit easier, um, if you have problems with your eyes, if you're blind, how to find the the the, the right keys on the board uh, make your your um, your life easier. Also, with with putting on the the charging devices, nothing super fancy, but I think super useful and, and great to see that Microsoft wraps their head around that in order to be more inclusive. And the second announcement um, that I also want to highlight is uh, Microsoft announced the first. Ocean plastic mouse, which, which consists of twenty percent of recycled ocean plastic. Um, I've referenced the US page for for that device because it's not yet available on the German page or on the on the uh, on the general uh, um, store page. So um, it will be released at the beginning of October and then also within Europe. Um, again, also something that is really cool and underlines the sustainability um, thinking of Microsoft. And by the way, it's more affordable than a new Surface device, but that's for sure. And then finishing up with something to make your developer's living room more nice. Um, There is now a new collection uh, for new uh, Visual Studio Code, uh, Mm -hmm. Visual Studio themes, pardon me, Visual Studio themes. uh, that basically converts VS Code themes to work in Visual Studio. Because there is quite some some VS Code themes out there, Visual Studio is lacking that a bit. And yeah, now it's coming up there. It's available for Visual Studio uh, 2022. Um, and yeah, I referenced the blog post that introduces those new feature for your Visual Studio developer living room. With that, I'm at the end of today's session. I hope I had some news, some interesting stuff for you. One announcement, um, probably I will not be able to make the show next week due to some um, personal obstacle that I'm facing uh, at the end of next week. So um, yeah, I will keep you updated on Twitter. Maybe I will only have the GitHub repo in place or um, maybe nothing will happen next week. so, So bear with me. Um, But until then, I wish you a very nice Saturday, a super nice Sunday, and a successful next week. See you at latest in two weeks again. Until then.